You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. you got your Bibles, please go ahead and open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, and we are continuing uh, this evening in our four-part series. This is part two of our series, Christ in Me. And as you uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, uh, let me ask you by a show of hands, how many people have ever ridden a horse? Hands up if you've ridden a horse. Okay, a lot of us, a lot of us. How many people have never in their life ever ridden a horse? Hands up, hands up. Okay, quite a few, quite a few. So for, for those of us who have never ridden a horse before, all right, let me tell you what it's like. I'm going to tell you my first experience riding a horse, okay? So this is what it's like, so you've you got some warning. Okay, 13 years old at summer camp. And uh, this is how it worked at our camp. All the boys would gather together on the dock in the morning, and then one of the leaders would list out all of the activities for the day, and you would pick what activities you wanted to do. And one of the activities was horseback riding. And no one ever picked it. None of the boys ever picked horseback riding. I mean, why would you want to? You've got to go to a smelly barn. You've got to put on like this kind of helmet hat thing, a communal helmet hat. Uh, Then you've got to put on some like uh, boots and then you've got to sit on a horse and then you're going to smell like horse for the rest of the day. Why would you want to do that when you can go windsurfing? No offense, horse people. Okay, no offense, no offense. But why would you want to do that? And so there's this one morning, and, and I'm sitting there with my friend, and, and the leader is listing out all the activities for the day, and he gets to horseback riding. And of course, no one puts up their hand. And you know when you kind of look at your friend when you're a teenager, and you're like, I totally dare you to do that. And then your friend looks back at you and says, no, I dare you to do that. And you're looking at each other, and we're totally going to do this. And so we both put our hands up. Next thing we know, we're on the trail. Neither of us have ever been on a horse before. And, and to be honest, it was like pretty cool. Going along this trail and, and just walking along, and it's like, wow, like I've really been missing out. I need to do this every day. And just kind of, I feel like a cowboy. This is so neat, you know? And going along, and then someone at the front of the line decided we weren't going fast enough. Okay? And so you know what happens next. And then you see like this, this wave kind of happening, heading toward you, and then the horse starts to trot. And if you've never been on a horse before, this is what it looks like. You're just like, bang, 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 You're like out of control. And my friend is riding beside me on his horse, and he panics, and he drops the reins, and he grabs hold of the horse by the neck. And then, and then his feet come out of the spurs, and he's totally horizontal on the horse. Just bang, bang, bang. And then his feet come off of the horse, and now he's holding onto the horse sideways. And then he goes all the way around, and he's still on this side, and then he lets go. And he gets stepped on a little bit, but he was okay. He was okay. The amazing thing about riding a horse from the first time and every single time I've ridden a horse since then, is that you're able to control this huge, beautiful, powerful animal with just these two little pieces of leather. These, these reins, if you pull the rein this way, the horse goes that way. If you pull the rein this way, the horse goes that way. If you pull back, the horse stops. You're able to control this horse with reins. And in the same way that horses are controlled by reins, people are controlled by something as well. Skill testing question. What are people controlled by? People are controlled by their hearts. 
People are controlled by their hearts. So what then controls our hearts? That's the question. What controls our hearts? Because whatever controls our hearts controls us. So question, what controls your heart? What controls my heart? What controls our hearts? Because every day we are living lives and we're making choices, we're making decisions, we're choosing direction. What's controlling our hearts? Maybe you're thinking, well, that word controlled, I don't really like that word controlled. It's kind of a bad word. Well, it can be a bad word if we're controlled by something bad. But what if we're controlled by something that is awesome? What if we are controlled by something that is truly great? What are, if we are controlled by the love of Christ? Would you say that describes you? Are you controlled by the love of Christ? Is, is the love that Jesus Christ has for you so overpowering, so overwhelming to you that you are controlled by his love? Does that describe you? Because listen, if we're not controlled by the love of Christ, then we're controlled by something else. If we're not controlled by the love of Jesus Christ, then we're going to be controlled by something else. And maybe you're thinking like what? Well, like this, like selfish desires. Like the desire to be respected and the desire to be praised or to be liked or be successful or to be right all the time. The desire uh, for, for some wicked, sinful pleasure. The desire for money or possessions or entertainment or, or to always get my way or to have these perfectly obedient children that never sin or do anything wrong or to have this perfect spouse who just always agrees with everything that you say or, or to always be loved by everyone or to have this easy problem-free life where nothing ever goes wrong. So often we are controlled by selfish desires. Question, what selfish desires do you struggle with the most in your life? What selfish desires do you struggle with the most in your life? And maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not really sure. How do I know? Well, here's how I know. Follow your anger. Follow your anger. Ask yourself, what gets me frustrated? What is it that gets me angry? Do I find myself frustrated and angry when I'm not getting the respect that I want from my coworkers or from my boss or from my family or from those people that are driving with me on my road? Do I find myself getting frustrated when I'm not getting the praise or the success or the possessions or the perfect children or the easy life that I want? Because if I'm wanting something so much that I'm getting angry when I can't have it, it's a sure sign that my heart is being controlled by a selfish desire. Question, what controls you? Are you controlled by selfish desires or are you controlled by the love of Christ. And if you're anything like me right now, you're thinking, well, sometimes I'm controlled by the love of Christ. But if I'm honest, I'm going to be honest right now. 
often I'm controlled by selfish desires. And I get angry when I can't have what I want. Anyone else relate to that? Hand up if you can relate to that. All right, all of us, all of us can relate to that. And so what do we do? Here's the question. What do we do? Here's what we do. We run to the feet of Jesus and we ask him to show us his love again in the gospel. That's what we do. We run to the feet of Jesus Christ and we ask him to show us his love again in the gospel. Because when we see the love of Jesus Christ, here's what happens. We are controlled by the love of Jesus Christ. When we can see the love of Jesus Christ, we are controlled by the love of Jesus Christ. So here's the truth that you and I need to receive today. Here's the big idea. The more we see the love of Jesus Christ in the gospel, the more we'll be controlled by the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. The more we can see the love of Jesus Christ in the gospel, the more we will be controlled by the love of Jesus Christ in our lives, which leads us right into our first point, which is this. If I want to see the love of Christ in the gospel so that I'm controlled by the love of Christ in my life, then I need to see these two big, glorious truths in our text today. And here's truth number one, gospel truth number one. You can jot this down up on the screen. Christ died for all so that all would die. Christ died for all so that all would die. Have a look with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Here we go. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So let's begin today by considering the person of the Apostle Paul. Because Paul was a man who was controlled by the love of Christ. For the Apostle Paul, the, the love of Christ, the, the amount that Christ loved him, it was so overwhelming to him that it, that it pushed him forward like this hurricane wind. It pushed him forward into fruitfulness. But then it also was like a giant magnet pulling him back from walking in patterns of sin. The love of Christ was so powerful, it was like this force upon the life of Paul that pushed him forward into fruitfulness, but then also pulled him back from walking in patterns of sin. And we know that he was not a perfect man. We know that clearly from Romans chapter 7, but we know this. He was a man who was controlled by the love of Christ. I mean, this really, it fueled his, his ministry. This is why he loved people. This is why he planted churches. This is why he preached the gospel in really dangerous places. This is why he said things like this. Look what he said, Acts chapter 20. Look what he says. But I do not account my life of any value. Who talks like that? I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. How is it that Paul is able to talk like that? Here's how. The love of Christ controlled him. The love of Christ controlled him. And so how do we become people like that? How can we, how can you and I become people who are controlled 
by the love of Christ? Well, thankfully, he tells us right here in verse 14. Look what he says. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So here's what Paul says. He says, the, life, the, the love of Christ is controlling me, and let me, tell you, let me tell you why. Because I've reached these two conclusions. One, that Christ died for all. And two, that all have died. And because I've reached those two conclusions, the love of Christ is controlling me. Do you feel what I'm saying? No. Paul, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. What is he talking about? What on earth does he mean? Let's begin with this first one. What does Paul mean when he says that Christ died for all? Well, this is what he means. That Jesus Christ died for his sheep. Jesus Christ died for his people. Jesus Christ died for all who would believe. Look what Jesus says about this in the Gospel of John up on the screen. John chapter 6. Notice, all, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Very clear. He also says this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. And then in John chapter 10, look what he says. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. He continues. Next slide. I knew he continued. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And look, they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ gave his life for his sheep. He died for all who would believe. He left heaven and came to earth and he gave himself over to be crucified. And and as he hung on that cross, nailed to that cross, he took upon himself all of the sin of all of his people. He was clothed in the sin of his people. And the wrath that we deserve for our sin was poured out upon him in full until our debt was paid. And when it was finished, he said, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit and he died. Jesus Christ died for his sheep. He died for all who would believe. And as Paul considered the truth that Christ died for him, he saw the depths of the love of Christ and it controlled him. So let's take a moment to consider the depths of the love of Christ for you. Before we consider the love of Christ for all, Let's consider the depths of the love of Christ for you. Consider what Jesus Christ was willing to go through for you. I want you to personalize this. Consider what he was willing to lose so that you would gain eternal life. Consider what he was willing to lose 
so that you would gain eternal life. He was willing to lose more than anyone has ever lost because on the cross, he took upon himself the sin of the world. He was clothed in our sin and he became what he hates the most. He became sin. Look down at verse 21. Chapter 5, verse 21. Look what it says. Notice, for our sake... He made him to be sin. He became sin. He became our sin. He was clothed in our sin. And because of that, he was looked upon by God the Father as though he was sin. And in that moment, he lost everything because he lost what he values most, fellowship with the Father. When, when he became sin, the perfect fellowship that he had with God the Father for all of eternity, the fullness of joy that he had experienced from eternity past in the presence of the Father was suddenly ripped away from him. His greatest joy was gone, which is why from the cross he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is a suffering that we cannot even begin to understand. The presence of the Father turns to silence. The Son of God forsaken. His greatest joy ripped away from him. And consider what follows. The wrath of God. And so, yes, the physical suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross was absolutely horrific. But it was not the anticipation of the physical suffering that caused Jesus to sweat blood in the garden. It wasn't the anticipation of the physical suffering that caused Jesus to pray that the Father would let this cup pass from him. No, Rather, it was the anticipation of the spiritual suffering that the joy of the fellowship that he has with the Father would be torn away, interrupted, and then replaced by the wrath of God. And on that cross, Jesus Christ suffered the full fury of the wrath of God alone. This is what Jesus endured on the cross for you, for you, a suffering that we cannot even begin to imagine. And why? Why was he willing to do this? Here's why. Love. He loves you. He loves you. He suffered for you in order to save you from hell and to bring you to God. Consider the depths of the love of Christ for you, for you. And as Paul saw the depths of this love, he was controlled by it. Let me ask you, can you see the depths of this love? Can you see the depths of the love of Jesus Christ for you personally? 
because there's even more. Consider the second truth. That when Jesus died for his sheep, all of his sheep died. When Jesus died for his sheep, all of his sheep died. And maybe you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound very good. But listen, it is. It is. Look back at verse 14. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So here's what this means, that if you are here today and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then the moment you placed your faith in Christ, God united you to Christ. The moment you placed your faith in Christ, God united you to Christ. Look what Paul says about this in Romans chapter 6. Look what he says. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Here's what this means. That when you placed your faith in Christ, God united you to Jesus Christ in such a way that when Jesus died on the cross, it counts as you dying on the cross. Which means this, that the old you, the person who you were before Christ, the person who was on the road to sin, uh, to, to hell, the person who was a slave of sin, the person who wanted nothing to do with God, the person you used to be was killed with Christ on the cross. This is what he means in verse 14 when he says that uh, we've concluded this, one has died for all, therefore all have died. As Paul considered this truth, that he died in Christ, that the man he once was would never take another breath. That the man that he once was would never take another step on the earth because that man was dead. As he meditated on the truth that Christ died for me and I died in Christ, Christ died for me and I died in Christ, here's what happened. These truths, they dropped into his heart and he saw the love of Christ and then he felt the love of Christ and then he was controlled by the love of Christ. It's kind of like when you take a, a glass of clear water and you drop some food coloring in and it hits the water and then it begins to diffuse and the whole thing begins to change color. That's what happened in Paul's heart. He, he saw the love of Christ and the color of his heart changed to love. Ask yourself, has this truth dropped into my heart? Christ died for me. I died in Christ. Christ died for me. I died in Christ. Because when this truth reached Paul's heart, he saw the love of Christ. He felt the love of Christ. And then he was controlled by the love of Christ. Notice this also. This is big. That Paul says this salvation is not just for him. That it's way, way bigger than that. Look back at verse 14. Look what he says. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, 
all have died. So Paul is part of the all, but the all is way, way bigger than Paul. Paul's not just considering his own salvation here. He's considering the salvation of all who would believe. Paul's not just considering his own story. He's considering the story, the story of God, the story about how he's the redeemer, the story involving billions of people. So let's try to get an idea of what Paul is thinking about here. Consider your own story, your own testimony, the story of one person for whom Christ died to rescue you from hell and bring you to God. How much does Christ love you? How much does he love you? What is the sum of that love? Let's add to the picture the Apostle Paul. So now it's you and Paul. And, and, and God loves Paul just as much as he loves you. So what is the sum of the love that God has for two people? Let's add another three, and we'll add another 10, and then another 10. Now we've got 25. How big is the love of Christ for 25 people? Then we'll add another 100, and over here another 1,000, and then another 100,000, and another a million, and then we'll add a billion, and we're still not at the number of believers on the planet right now. Never mind all those who've gone before us who are with the Lord and all those who have yet to believe. How big is the love of Christ for his people? This is what Paul is, is thinking about. This is what he's talking about. How big is the sum of this love for Jesus Christ for his people? Because that is the size of the love he's thinking about when he says the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And as Paul sees the size of the love of Jesus Christ for his people, what happens? Verse 14 the love of Christ controls him like a hurricane wind pushing him forward into fruitfulness and like a giant magnet pulling him back from walking in patterns of sin. And this is exactly what happens to us when we see the love of Christ as well. We can think of it like this up on the screen. It all starts here at the feet of Jesus when we run to the feet of Jesus and we ask him to show us his love again in the gospel and he shows us the greatness of his love for me as we consider the greatness of his love for me and then as we consider the greatness of his love for us, for us as a church, and then we consider the greatness of his love for all, all who are on the face of the earth right now, all those who are in glory, all those who have yet to believe. This is when we are controlled by the love of Christ and it pushes us forward into fruitfulness and pulls us back from walking in patterns of sin. And so yes, consider the love that Christ has for you. Yes and amen. But don't stop there. Consider the love that Christ has for all. Because if we want to see the love of Christ in a way that we are controlled by the love of Christ, we must see that Christ died for all so that all would die. That leads us right into our second point tonight, which is this. That if we want to see the love of Christ so that we're controlled by the love of Christ, we need to see the second truth as well. You could jot this down. Gospel truth number two, that Christ died for all 
so that all would live. Christ died for all so that all would live. Have a look with me now at verse 15. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So here's what we need to see. That Jesus didn't just die so we would die, but he also died so that we would live. Meaning that Jesus died to set his people free to live out the purpose for which they were created. Jesus Christ died to set us free to live out the purpose for which we were created. And what is that purpose? Because, man, we need to know this. What is our purpose? Well, let's let God tell us. Isaiah chapter 43. God says this. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory whom I formed and made. God's people have been created by God for his glory. If you're ever looking for a mission statement for your life, here it is. Created by God for his glory. Look what Paul says about this too, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is our purpose. This is why Christ died. Christ died so that we would be set free to live out our purpose, which is to glorify God. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to glorify God? Well, here's a very simple definition. It's this. To glorify God means to live in a way that shows the worth of God. To glorify God means to live in a way that shows the worth, the worth, the worth of God. And so how do we do that? How do we live out this awesome, glorious, beautiful purpose in our lives? Well, have a look back at verse 15 because Paul tells us. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So Christ died so that his people would no longer live for themselves. Christ died so that we, we would no longer live for ourselves. Christ died so that we would no longer live to be respected or to be liked or to be accepted. Or to, or to be praised, or to be successful, or to be right all the time. Christ died for us so that we would no longer live for wicked, evil, sinful pleasures, 
or money or things or to be entertained or to get our way or to have perfectly obedient children all the time or to have a perfect spouse that always agrees with you or to be honored or exalted or loved by everyone or to have an easy life. Christ died to set us free from slavery to these desires so we would no longer live for ourselves. But how exactly does that work? How does the death of Christ free us from being controlled by selfish desires? Well, here's how. Here's how. Through our union with Christ in his death. Look what Paul says about this. Romans chapter 6. Look what he says. He says, we know, we know this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that, here's why, The body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died, that's us, died, has been set free from sin. Set free from sin. So before we were united to Christ, we were enslaved to sin. But then we were crucified with Christ. And that slave of sin died, is gone forever. Praise the Lord. But that's only half the story. Look down at verse 17. Verse 17. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, what does it say? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So when Jesus died, the old you died. And when Jesus rose, a new you, a new creation rose with him. This is what baptism symbolizes. If you've seen baptisms here before, this is a beautiful picture of a glorious reality. That someone has been united to Christ by faith. And because of that, they've died with Christ. They died with Christ. They're united with him in his death and in his burial. And then they are also united with him in his resurrection. And they are united with him and become a new creation. And listen... New creations in Jesus Christ are not enslaved to sin. Let's say that again. New creations in Jesus Christ are not enslaved to sin. Maybe you're thinking, well then, why do I struggle so much with sin? Well, here's why. For the same reason that I do. Because the presence of sin still remains. The power of sin has been broken, but the presence of sin still remains. Paul talks about this also in Romans chapter 6. Look what he says. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Why does Paul say this? Because there's sin in us. And what does it want to do? It wants to reign. It wants to make us obey its passions. The presence of sin still remains, but its power has been broken. You can think of it like this. Imagine a pirate ship, and there's a pirate on the, on the ship, and he's got a slave. And he, whatever he tells the slave to do, the slave does. He says, jump. The slave says, how high? But then, 
Another ship pulls up beside the pirate ship and, and this hero swings over and he grabs hold of the pirate and he brings him below the deck and he throws him into the jail and he shuts it, he locks it and he throws the key into the ocean and he liberates the slave. The slave has been set free to now serve this wonderful captain. No longer a slave, but a servant of this wonderful captain. But here's the problem. That pirate is still below deck. And he's still screaming out commands nonstop. He never takes a break. He never takes a holiday. He's screaming out commands, sin, 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 sin. And because that person who has been liberated knows that voice, has listened to that voice, has obeyed that voice for so long, it's so tempting to continue. But listen, we've been set free. We are no longer slaves which means this, that nobody here today in Christ is ever stuck in sin with no way out. Never, never. Nobody here today in Jesus Christ is ever stuck in sin with no way out. Yes, sin is still screaming orders at us. And yes, way too often we give ourselves over to that. But listen, we are no longer enslaved. We are no longer slaves of sin. Here's some desires up on the screen that we're no longer enslaved to. Here's some. We're no longer enslaved to this. The desire to be respected or liked or accepted or praised or honored or loved. We're not enslaved to that anymore. We're not enslaved to this. Next one. We're not enslaved for the desire for wicked, evil, sinful pleasures. We're not enslaved to that. We're not enslaved to the desire for money or possessions or entertainment. We're not slaves to this anymore. Next one. We're not enslaved to getting our way or to having obedient children or to having a perfect spouse or to having an easy life. We are not enslaved to these desires anymore because Jesus died and was raised to break the power of that over our lives. And why did he do this? Here's why. So we would stop living for ourselves. He did this so that we would stop living for ourselves and start living for the purpose for which we were created. Have a look with me again at verse 15. Verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for, what does it say? Him. For, for, for him. And now we've come to the biggest reason in our text for why Christ died. So yes, Christ died so that we would die. Yes, Christ died so that sin would be broken in our lives. But here's why. Here's why we needed to die. Here's why the power of sin needed to be broken in our lives so that we would no longer live for ourselves and we would start to live for him and for his glory. This is our purpose. And so if this is our purpose, this is why we were created, then what does it look like practically to do this? Well, thankfully, Jesus Christ tells us. John chapter 15. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What does it look like to glorify Christ? It looks like this, bearing much 
fruit, bearing much fruit. This is our purpose, to be fruit-bearing people. This is how we glorify God, by bearing much fruit. What does he mean by fruit? What kind of fruit? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And let's stop right here. How many people have this verse memorized? Hand up if you have this verse memorized. A lot of us, right? And we can just kind of blow right through this without really thinking much about it. It glorifies God when we have lives that are dominated by love. It glorifies God when we have lives that are dominated by joy. It glorifies God when we have lives that are dominated by the peace of God. I mean, these are all things that we want. It glorifies God when our lives are dominated by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It glorifies God when we bear this fruit. Against such things, there is no law. This is why Jesus died. Jesus died so we would no longer live for ourselves, but bear much fruit for the glory of God. Jesus died so that we would be people whose lives are dominated by love, the love of God, and love for others. Jesus died so that we would be a people right here whose lives are dominated by joy in Christ. He died for that. Jesus Christ died that we would be a people whose lives are dominated by the peace of God and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is why Jesus died, to set us free, to live out the purpose for which we were created, to bear much fruit for the glory of God. This is why we're here. This is why Jesus died. Let's put it all together. This is what it looks like up on the screen. So again, where does it begin? At the feet of Jesus Christ. At the feet of Jesus Christ. Meeting with him in prayer. Opening up his word. Studying it. Asking him to show us the glory of his love in the gospel. And when we can see it, when we can see it more and more and more, when we see the love of Christ for all, that's when we are controlled by the love of Christ. And we are pushed forward into fruitfulness. Forward like a hurricane wind into fruitfulness. And we are also pulled back from walking in patterns of sin. Why? For this great and glorious purpose. The reason why we live the glory of God. This is what Christ does in us. This is what Christ does in us. And so is that the end of the story? Well, it's not. Have a look again at verse 15. Look at the end of verse 15. He says, and, and, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, now notice, who for their sake died and was raised. So Jesus died so that his people would not live for themselves, but live for his glory. But Jesus also died for our sake. And he was raised for our sake. Here's what that means. Here's what that means. That in the gospel, 
In the gospel, you and I have received the two greatest gifts in the whole universe. Did you know that? You've received the two greatest gifts in the entire universe because you've received the treasure, the great treasure of the universe, which is God himself. You've received the greatest treasure in the universe, God himself. And you've also received the greatest purpose in the universe, which is to live for the glory of God. You've received the two greatest gifts in the universe, the treasure of God himself and the the greatest purpose in the universe to live for his glory. These are the two greatest gifts. And as we open up these gifts and we begin to enjoy them and we spend time with God and we delight in him and we love him and we live for his glory, this is when we begin to live a satisfied, abundant Christian life. This is is when we begin to experience the greatest condition of the human estate. And it has nothing to do with earthly status. It has nothing to do with gathering possessions. It has nothing to do with having money. It has nothing to do with having easy circumstances. And it has everything to do with truly being alive in Jesus Christ. By knowing who we've been created to know, Jesus Christ, and by seeing what we've been created to see, the greatness of his love, and then by doing what we've been created to do, which is to live for his glory. This is the abundant life in Jesus Christ. This is what it looks like to truly live in him. And for those of you that um, know me a little bit, one thing that you probably know about me already is that I'm not the handiest guy in the world, okay? Actually, really far from it. And um, uh, I, so once in a while, I, I'll use the wrong tool for the job. I'll just admit it, okay? And so it wouldn't be weird to walk by my office and see me trying to uh, hammer in a nail with the back of a screwdriver, okay? That wouldn't be weird. And if that screwdriver could talk, if it had a voice, it would be saying, stop doing this. I wasn't created for this. But if I take that screwdriver and then I find a screw and I start to screw that screw into the wall, if that screwdriver had a voice and it could talk, it would say, thank you. This is what I was created to do. This just feels right. It feels right to do what we have been created to do likewise. When you and I are doing what we've been created to do by enjoying God and living for his glory, that's when we experience what it means to truly live. Amen? And we'll close here. Look again at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So because Jesus Christ died for us, and because Jesus Christ, because we died in him, and because he has made us new creations, and because he has set us free from the power of sin so that we can no longer live for ourselves but live out the purpose for what we were created, let's get after it. Amen? As a church, together, each one of us, let's get after living out our purpose, which is for the glory of God. And where does it begin again? It begins here, at his feet. 
at his feet where we see his love in the gospel. Because when we see his love in the gospel, that's when we feel his love in the heart. And that's when we are controlled by his love in our lives. Let's pray. Let's pray. So Father, we thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you so much that we can open up your word and and we can read the truth of the gospel that you died for us and that we have died in you and that you have set us free from the power of sin and you have great and awesome glorious purposes for our lives You created us for the greatest purpose, the greatest reason in the universe to live for your glory. And so God, as we now turn our eyes to the cross of Jesus Christ, as we worship you right now, oh God, would you stir in our hearts and show us again the greatness of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.